This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Claire Liu. She's the CEO of Know Your Team, and this is Work Minus Bad Managers. Hi, Claire. How are you? Hey, Neil. I'm doing great. Thanks. Very excited to talk with you. You are a bit of an expert in the realm of management. So I want to ask you just to introduce yourself and tell us how you got so passionate about management. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, for folks who who aren't familiar with our work, uh, like Neil was saying, my name's Claire. I run a software company called Know Your Team, and we help managers avoid becoming a bad boss. And I was inspired to uh, embark on this whole journey and start this company because about eight or so years ago, I had a terrible boss. <laughs> and for those of you who are listening, um, this is surprisingly, you know, maybe uh, not a unique experience, something that maybe you can resonate with. Uh, but I had a really bad boss and I was really conflicted about what to do at the time uh, because it was a very small company. And I didn't know, well, do I tell him? Uh, is there anything different that would ever change? I, I found it just to be this immensely frustrating problem where I had no right, first of all, even telling the CEO how, how to change. But if something were to be different, could it be from internally or would there need to be some sort of external force that would help this person become the leader that they wanted to be? And so I decided that the solution was likely the latter. So I left the company and ended up first starting consulting practice, working with CEOs to help them get to know their companies better and see their blind spots. And my first client was actually a company called Called Basecamp, and some of you may be familiar with that company. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, so they used to be called Thirty Seven Signals. They um, make project management software. They serve, I believe, over fifteen million people worldwide. And the CEO of Basecamp was actually my first consulting client. Wow. And. So I did this consulting project for them. And then ironically enough, they also, Basecamp, happened to be building their own software product to help them solve this issue of getting better feedback um, and becoming more self-aware as leaders. And that was actually uh, what was uh, then called Know Your Company and today is Know Your Team. So what ended up happening is that Know Your Team was actually spun out from Basecamp and, uh, as its own separate, not just product, but separate company, separate LLC everything. And uh, Jason Freed, the CEO of Basecamp, asked me to run the company. And so we split ownership 50-50 and we spun it out. It's completely separate. And I've been running the company today called Know Your Team for the past, I believe, five years it's been now. Oh, that's a great story. I love that. Are you still in touch with your old bad manager? Do you send him thank you notes every once in a while and say, thank you for letting me start my own company? <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... It's one of those things where it has truly been my biggest inspiration for the work that I'm doing today in the sense that it was such a tough situation. It was such a sensitive uh, time to, I mean, here's the thing. I was really young. I mm -hmm. was 22, 23. And to feel like, you know, I had any audacity to tell my boss, you know, who's at least 15, 20 years my senior, you know, what he should be doing. It, it didn't really feel like my place. And not only that, but I wasn't also confident in knowing what yeah, could sure. be better. And then lastly, even if I did share what I felt like could be better at the time, 
I didn't think anything was going to change. And so, in fact, this sense of futility and, you know, I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about this later on the podcast, but futility, studies have shown, is actually the biggest reason for why employees don't speak up at work. Hmm. It's not that they're just scared. So it's not like I was just fearful that this person who I respected was going to think ill of me, and I was, right? But even more than that, the reason why I, you know, didn't tell this boss and today even, you know, don't don't share all the things uh, of of all the things that I felt like could have been better is unfortunately because of this sense of futility and feeling as though if something's not going to be different, then you don't give the feedback because that is the reason for why you even want to give that feedback in the first place. And so for leaders, as we think about, oh, how do I create an open, honest environment? How do I make sure I don't become like Claire's boss, who has no clue that everyone in the company thinks that I'm running the company terribly? How do I make sure I don't become like that? Okay, well, overcoming futility and making it really clear that if someone's going to say something to me, that's something's going to be done about it. That's, yeah. That was the biggest thing. Wow. All right, well, let's get into some of these topics. You've written a lot of things. I'm going to base a lot of my questions around one article you wrote about nine leadership mistakes you make. In that article, you cited a statistic that says, you know, only one in 10 managers possess what they describe the natural talent to manage. Yes. So how did we get into this problem where it seems like you start off with something you do really well as a performer, and then automatically, if you're good at performing, well, obviously, you're going to be good at management. Where did that disconnect start? And why is it perpetuated now? Totally. Well, so the study that you're referring to is something that Gallup ran, I think, back in 2016, where they literally, and it's an annual uh, study that I'm sure folks who are listening are familiar with, I believe. It's um, the state of the workforce study that's done with over a million people across over 84,000 business units. They do it almost every single year. And what uh, Gallup identified was what they sort of saw as the 12 inherent traits that good managers who are successful tend to have. And what this means is, and it's things like, um, you know, clear decision-making, empathy, it's just sort of, the, you know, traditionally what you would think of as a good manager. There's, it's, you know, this isn't um, shocking mm -hmm. <laughs> insights by any means, right? But what they found that was really, um, really shocking is the fact that folks who were promoted into the role of manager, one, usually did not have these traits or skills out of the gate. So like you said, only one in 10 of the of, of folks who are managers actually possess these skills out of the gate to become a good manager. Doesn't mean you can't learn them, but coming out of the gate, you don't have this, right? And then the second statistic in the study that was that is just sort of mind-blowing is that 82% of the time managers are promoting the wrong people. And so, uh, or companies rather, are pr promoting the wrong people. So what this means, to your point, is that, okay, here we have individual contributors who were so successful in, in their roles, getting, um, getting promoted off the wrong skill. So to now circle back, now that was just a lot of context there, right, Neil? But to, to really like, pinpoint on your question of like, how did we end up doing this? Well, to be, to be very frank, I think the, the biggest reason is because leadership in, ex in itself for what it is to be successful as a leader is actually very nebulous and ill-defined in our society. So if you look at academic scholars and the way that they define leadership, there are literally hundreds of definitions on leadership. Like scholars cannot agree on a single definition yeah. of leadership. There's this uh, scholar, I think uh, his name's uh, Ralph uh, Stodgill, who wrote in 1974, he, you know, he ran this big study and he, and he uh, wrote this um, 
this statement that I thought was hilarious, which is he said that uh, that you can find about as many definitions of leadership as the number of people who have attempted to define it. <laughs> so the reason why that's so problematic is if you don't have a clear definition for what it means to be a good leader, obviously then the metric or the indicators for what it means to be a good leader are kind of all over the place. So you don't really even know what you're looking for because we can't even agree on what it means to be a good leader. So that's that's one of the biggest reasons that in companies, it's so easy just to promote the folks who are doing and succeeding really great at individual contributors, uh, but then realizing, oh my gosh, we're promoting them for, for things that they're really good at as individual contributors, but that doesn't necessarily translate into leading others. So, you know, what's the takeaway in this? Well, as you know, senior managers who are promoting these folks, you know, can I clearly define what it means to be a successful leader in our organization? And most broadly speaking, even though there are, like I was saying, hundreds of definitions, you know, you go back to Aristotle when he started defining leadership and then from there on out. But despite the fact there are hundreds of definitions around leadership, sort of the most a coherent definition that I would say that spans most is the fact that a successful leader is someone who does two things. One, they're able to create an outcome that wouldn't have existed if that person hadn't been able to get other people on board. So this whole idea is that teams exist because you can do something beyond just an individual doing that thing, right? So a leader is someone who can help get that done. And then the second thing is that the most successful leaders are ones who create the best environment for people to get that work done. So it's not necessarily about direct control or influence, but it's about creating that environment for people to get that best work done and then to accomplish that outcome. Yeah. So that being said, it's like, okay, well, let's first define it really well. Um, the second reason for why, you know, we end up in this place is it's really hard to measure, identify those skills of like, wait, what, what does it look like for a leader who's really good at creating an environment or a potential leader? Like what, what does that actually tangibly look like? We, we don't, um, we don't track for that really well. So for example, you know, listening skills or the ability to ask good questions or the ability uh, to be consistent and actually like, consistency is something that's that's not really looked at when we look at, you know, promoting folks. So, so that's really, um, those are the two biggest reasons is that we don't define leadership very well and then we don't identify and track what it means to be successful when we do promote those folks. Hmm. Would you advocate for people management to be just a specialty that someone can develop and just is kind of brought in because this person, they've, they've studied it, they know it, they kind of have experience and practice in it instead of just being a default, hey, we need somebody to to be the manager. So just throw the hat at somebody. And what implications are there for that in terms of salaries and cost structures? What would be the best way to structure an organization? Sure. So I, I mean, I'm of the belief that leadership can be learned, right? So this is the reason why I started Know Your Team is because I don't think as much as there are inherent traits that you can have out of the gate and that, you know, only one in 10 people have them, you can develop these skills. You can develop the capacity to understand what makes a good leader and then become better. Like, I, I think I'm an optimist. Like, I, I can't imagine a world where we just say folks who already have spent the time in the past and who have the established expertise are the only ones who can do this. Like, I think uh, you can only imagine our society being successful, you know, in every single way. If you think, oh, anyone can learn this stuff if they want to. Like, this isn't for sort of the the sacred few who are who are plucked out and who decided to go through formal training or school or 
or like myself who've spent their working careers. Like you, so, you know, to answer your question, Neil, like, no, I don't think you need to go hire a quote unquote people management expert. Also, I don't even really know what that means to be (laughs) frank. Like I I just, you know, and and in the sense, and I don't mean this to, to diss anyone who, who calls himself that, but I think they're real. Like I was saying, like when you really think about what the most sort of cogent definition is of what it means to be a successful leader. Okay. Someone who's able to, to get a result that wouldn't have been possible had it just been one person alone. And then someone who's able to create an environment for people to do that. Okay. Like that's like, you don't technically really like go to business school to do that. Right. Like you don't really, you can't really read a book to do that. And again, this is why we created know your team is because we believe that there does, there is a methodology that exists to do that. Uh, but it looks a lot different than sort of what is traditionally seen. So I, I, I have to believe that you can learn this stuff. Yeah. And, and I think your product is almost like a management school in itself, uh, just with real life experience, you're having somebody to kind of help you along and think through it as you go through. So I think it's a really great tool for that. Thank you. Yeah. The whole, you know, hypothesis behind it. And, and you know, I'll, I'll admit like we're, we're learning as we go. Uh, we really started focusing on helping managers com- become better. I mean, we've done it over the past five years, specifically for CEOs, but more recently it's been uh, really in the past, you know, we, six months to a year where we've really focused on on new managers. But what our hypothesis is, is that you need first a foundation of knowledge. This is how any person becomes an expert, whether it's in uh, becoming an expert tennis player or becoming an expert chef. Like you have to know what a forehand is and a backhand is and a serve and a volley. Like you have to have like the foundations, right? So we have these online guides. Then you have to be able to apply what you're learning. So you can't learn how to play tennis by reading a book, right? You can't learn how to ride a bike by reading a book. Like you've got to go out and do it. And so then we have software tools to help you apply that stuff. And then you need a community of support. So like in tennis camps or like, you know, when you go to cooking school, you're not just in isolation. You're working with others. You have a coach, you're getting feedback. And so we have an online community of managers. And so that's a hypothesis. Is this, It's the ecosystem of education, software tools to apply what you're learning, and then a community of support that can help you help you learn. And like I was saying, because like I just, I refuse to believe that uh, you you know you are a born leader. I just refuse to believe that. Um, I think yeah, leaders leaders can be made. Great. Now, one of the pillars of the things you talk about is the one-on-one meeting and any kind of a management relationship, talking to somebody, sitting down with them face-to-face and really talking through some things. But for one, we just need to do that. A lot of people just don't do that. And that's the first problem. But the deeper one is, okay, what do you actually discuss in those times? What are some common fallacies that people run into in these one-on-one meetings and how can they get out of them? Yeah, totally. So one-on-one meetings uh, from, you know, the over thousands of, of managers that we have using Know Your Team and and managers and yeah, over a thousand managers we have in our online community that we call the water cooler. I'm, and here's the other thing, you know, I run this podcast called The Heartbeat where, as you know, you know, I, I interview all these leaders. And the thing that always comes up as sort of the highest leverage tool that a manager can use is these one-on-one meetings, mm, right? right? And and so for the folks who do them, they go, yeah, you know, they can be useful. And um, um, you know, we we did a, a large study with almost 3,000 people just this past fall, where it said uh, over 80% of managers believe that one-on-ones have um, a, a positive effect on team performance. So there's this broad consensus that these are helpful, right? Now, the potential, though, for 
for this to be even more helpful is huge. So for example, when we asked employees the same question, you know, how helpful do you think one-on-ones are? They answered at, you know, at a less degree of, of positive um, impact. So it was closer to 70%. And the difference is, um, actually, yeah, sorry, it would have been less than that because the difference was about 17 percentage points. So point being is employees feel like, okay, you're asking me to come in, have this one-on-one meeting for 30 minutes or an hour. And man, I'm not getting as much out of it as my manager seems to <laughs> like to think, right? right? So we identified this gap. And so to your question, like, you know, well, what can you do to close this gap and to make one-on-ones more effective and to live up to the fact that some managers seem for some reason to be having, I mean, really, like I was saying, having this be the most high leverage tool in their organization. So in the survey that we ran with almost 3,000 people, what we found were a few commonalities. So one is... Um, preparing for them just in general. <laughs> so the majority of employees said that their managers were either not prepared at all or only somewhat prepared when they came to um, to meet with their their manager. So the first thing for a manager if you're you know if you're listening to this is just prepare. So okay, well what does that mean? So one is to have an agenda, right? But one of the best practices that we learned in in talking to thousands of managers and and running the survey is to co-write the agenda with your employee. So you can write a quick draft and then send it over to your employee to um, you know to to add. And so that way they're, you know, bought in on the conversation. Um, and it, and it becomes a dialogue, right? And not just a okay, just let's, you know, I'm just going to talk at you. The second most important thing is to make sure you really understand what the purpose of this time is, right? So it's not a status meeting. It's not a status report. So many um, managers that um, feel like they don't get a lot out of one-on-ones will say, oh yeah, you know, I it's because I, you know, I ended up using it just to catch up on stuff, right? So knowing, oh, what people are working on, what's the latest, like don't, don't use that or don't talk about that during your one-on-one meeting. Like the one-on-one meeting is truly, and, and this is what we collected from the survey, the number one purpose folks said is to con- uncover potential issues. It's to get feedback. It's not to figure out, you know, something that you could literally ask via email or Slack. So don't use one-on-one meetings as a status report. Um, and then the last thing, so in addition to actually preparing and co-writing an agenda and not um, making it a status report, the last thing is to ask specific questions. So the most common question that is often asked in a one-on-one that is truly just sort of a, a, a waste and I think is a terrible question. And I'm guilty of asking this question, by the way, Neil, myself, <laughs> is how can I help you? This is the worst question that you can ask your employee in a one-on-one, one-on-one meeting. How can I help you? It's typically asked at the end of a one-on-one meeting. You know, you're going through anything and you go, okay, is there anything I can do to, you know, to help you? So the reason why this is a terrible question to ask, even though your intent might be good, is because you are placing the burden of what could be better about the working relationship you have with an employee, you're putting that burden on the employee. You're putting them on the spot, asking them to sort of catalog amongst the entire year's worth of progress and work and things, what you as a leader should be doing better. So you're making the the employee do the hard work of figuring out what you should be doing better. You're putting them on the spot to do it. It's a really counterproductive way to figure out actually how to help someone. (laughs) Um, So there's that. The other thing you'll notice is, you know, what did people typically say nine times out of 10 when you ask them, you know, Nothing. how can I help you? It's fine. Yeah, or the, yeah, exactly. Right. They go, uh, 
you know, I think it's pretty good, right? Like I can't think of anything at the moment, right? And it's because they didn't have time to repair or like I was saying, like it's this huge sort of cognitive burden to on the spot, just sort of reflect and, and pick something out. There's this intimidation factor of, you know, you're telling your leader what they should be doing better again on the spot. Um, and it's a very broad question. It's like, well, do I talk about, you know, the weird thing you said to me during the meeting last week? Do I talk about like broad strategic initiatives for the quarter? Like what level of granularity are they asking for feedback here? And so the question is way too broad. So instead, there are so many better questions that you can ask during a one-on-one -on -one meeting than how can I help you? And I, I mean, literally like, hundreds of better questions. And you have a lot of those on your site. So I'll encourage people to check those out. And also obviously inside the software too. You know, we got the same um, answer when we talked about diversity and inclusion that a lot of times those who are in a privileged position to ask other people, you know, what do you want me to do? Like, how should I help with that? It's really not a very helpful question in that situation either. Is that a good parallel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think you could extend it e uh, even broader beyond I mean, here's here's the thing, like it extends to any situation where you have a power dynamic at play, like when you have a one up, one down relationship, like when someone is, you know, whether it's in the case of diversity and inclusion, you know, has historically held more power, that's a one up, one down relationship. And so to ask the person who's one down, you know, how can I help you to the it, it, like it, it there's um there's so like it, it's just completely unhelpful because that power dynamic exists and in the workplace as much as you know we as leaders don't want to maybe acknowledge it or admit it like we like to think we're you know there's no hierarchy well no there is because sure, yeah. you're paying someone to do something yeah, yeah absolutely and, and really that should be your job as a manager to look over the results of the one-on-one -on -one, to see everything and to be able to see clearly how you can help somebody that's, that's kind of what you're being paid for too anyway Exactly. I mean, so, you know, different people will ask, well, what do you say instead, Claire, right? Well, what you can do is you can actually suggest specific things that you could do and say, what do you think? Like, is, is this a good idea? Would this be helpful, right? Actually do the hard work yourself as a manager to offer suggestions that of ways you think could help rather than just sitting back, sort of kicking your heels up and just asking the employee to do the hard work of saying, how can I help you? And then like you were saying, you know, we have hundreds of questions, uh, whether, you know, you follow me on Twitter or read our blog or use our product of, of other questions you can ask in one-on-one -on -one meetings. So if you get one-on-one -on -one meetings down, if you, you nothing else is good as a manager, you don't focus on anything else, you just focus on trying to get good at one-on-one -on -one meetings, how much of a bump are you going to get in terms of how good of a manager you're going to be? Yeah, well, like I was saying, you know, just to refer back to what, you know, almost 3,000 managers seem to say is that, uh, you know, almost 90% of them said that it has a positive effect on their team performance. So, you know, by a certain degree of magnitude, you can expect expect to become better just by doing that alone. Well, excellent. Well, there's so much else I wanted to talk to you about too. You have these, uh, the three pillars of good management. We're, we're talking about uh, trust and, and context and honesty, but I'll have to let people uh, look that up on your blog and get into that because a lot of good thoughts uh, to share there. Uh, Claire, where can people go to find all this information about you? Yeah, definitely. So I highly recommend checking out our blog if you found any of this information useful or you're thinking, oh, wait, I want to read more up on, you know, the survey that they ran or best practices around trust or one-on-one -on -one meetings. So that's knowyourteam.com backslash blog. Uh, we also host a podcast where we talk about 
everything A to Z from leadership. And I interview leaders I respect the most. Um, and so you can also check that out on our blog. And then, of course, you can visit our software. It's called knowyourteam.com. And we actually have a one-on-one's guide and tool to help you put all of the recommendations that I talked about into practice and to get ideas for questions, et cetera. We have agenda templates um, to definitely check that out. And then lastly, if you're just curious of, you know, well, how can I just learn more of what Claire's been reading or writing, et cetera, Twitter is a great way to, to keep in touch. I'd love to to hear from you there. So that's uh, Claire J. Lou, L-E-W, is my Twitter handle. Fantastic. Well, Claire, thanks a lot for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks so much, Neil. This was fun. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace. 